names and what a name means and why we get names has been on my heart uh, as I'm preparing for today, Father. And uh, with your people, you name this church, Celebrate Church. Celebrate. I think today you want to celebrate, surrender. I think you want to celebrate over this church in this room. I think there are people here today who, who will surrender or who will re-surrender. Was your working hearts? This room's alive today. You're here. You're the king. Would you be king? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Praise the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm Clayton. I know some of you. I don't know all of you. Uh, I love this place. It is good to be here. So what I'm going to talk about today is one of my favorite people. Uh, I, when I was in my commission pastor process, I wrote a paper about him. And uh, his name is Barnabas. Well, his real name is Joseph. He becomes Barnabas. And Barnabas means the son of encouragement. So you've been in this series, Gathering to Go, right? The book of Acts. I watched last week. Andrew said this is like a special episode at the end of a podcast. It's like an, an add-on. We're going to have some fun today, all right? But what I want to do first, because we gotta, we got to till the soil, encouragement. Um, I, what I'm hoping is that uh, I want to get you thinking about that. So I don't have slides. I changed my whole sermon on Thursday. So three questions for you. Discuss with someone next to you if you're willing. One, who has encouraged you? Two, how did they encourage you? And three, what was the result? And I want you to think about big stuff, like not little stuff. Someone who really like changed the trajectory of your life with their encouragement. Think about how they did it and then what was the result. So talk to somebody about it. Let's go. It's church, but just chat. It's good. You know, it's hard to know when to end these things because <laughs> people are talking. I'm always told you end it too early. I'm still telling the story of just one person talks. So if that happened, I apologize. But I want you to keep thinking about encouragement. And so what I'm finding today, uh, I want to tell you some of my own stories of encouragement. And my hope for today as we gather is that you are encouraged. But what I'm in, struck by is my idea of encouragement is pretty small and pretty simple. I think there's a deeper encouragement that's going to happen in this room today. So my prayer is that you'll feel encouraged. And then as you go, you share it, right? It's pretty simple. You are encouraged, we encourage. Does that make sense? If yes, say yes. yes. Perfect. All right, here we go. So first story, um, and you know, there's a big difference between, you know, encouraging words and encouragement that is combined with the Holy Spirit. 
significantly different. Like, so for example, when I was in school, I used to be an offensive lineman. I was a guard and I moved to tackle. I moved to tight end as I grew taller. But one of my coaches in trying to encourage me told me, Corvers aren't very fast. I said, Clayton, you're really quick in one spot. You move your feet really quick. And I was like, oh, I felt kind of good for a second. And I was like, that doesn't feel very good, actually. I appreciate the encouragement, but I'm not sure. So I'm talking about real encouragement today. So here's my first story. Um, I'm going to give you one personal and the one that's in like the context of like community. So the first one is I was a young man, young married man, living in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I was going to this church called Passion Church, and they were going to start an in-house seminary program. And someone said, you should do that. Your dad's a pastor. You should try it. I said, I don't know if I want to try it. I said, well, it, you, know, well you should try it. I said, well, it's 1800 bucks. That seems like a lot of money to me. I don't know, you know. And so I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do it. And then my wife looked at me and said, you should do it. I said, really? She said, you need to do it. So I did it. And what I found was I didn't like to learn growing up. Any students in here don't like to learn a whole lot? Maybe some of you do. Then I got into this seminary class. It was, a how, it was the Bible. It's the story of the Bible. And I loved to learn. I didn't know I loved to learn. I didn't, I mean, I grew up in the church and this thing just came alive. It was so much fun. So we get done with this class. And I think it's so much fun. And my wife and I are sitting at this little restaurant called The Nook off Piedmont Park. I say, Kelly, I think we're supposed to work in the church. She said, okay. Let's explore it. Let's pray about it. Let's start asking questions about it, but let's go for it. And through this series of events, here I am today. <laughs> right? Yeah. But the reason I'm here, because I wouldn't have done it, was because my wife, who loves Jesus, my favorite things about her, said, you should try it. We should do it. So we did it. So she encouraged me, and it changed my life. My wife is the best. I love her. First story. Second story. So I was, young, I was even smaller. I was in the third grade. And this is like in a team context. So we're going to, so let's pay pleasant to the passage. Uh, I was in third grade, and my buddies and I, after church, we'd go play basketball at the old Webster Gym in Pella. I don't know if anyone's ever been to the old Webster Gym. It's about this big. It's like this row. It's tiny. So we're playing. We're having fun. We had a coach, and he's a great coach, and he loved Jesus. One of the first practices, I was talking to an old friend. His name's Father Jeff Dole now. And he said, do you remember this practice? And I said, I do remember this. He said, so coach took a basketball. And he put it in front of some third graders. And he said, how big is this ball? I don't know. Coach, ball? I don't know. It's a ball. Well, okay. How big is this ball, like, in comparison to this room? Well, it's not as big as the room, coach. Yeah, that's right. How big is this ball when it comes to life? Uh, That ball's really small, coach. He said, never you forget it. Basketball is fun. When you're inside the lines, you have fun. When you leave the lines, you leave it. Have freedom, have fun together, but it's just a game. Just enjoy it. Play with each other, be for each other. So you know what happened was he took a bunch of young men who just begin to love each other and love to play. And it doesn't happen to everyone. We won a couple state championships. I think because he instilled basketball is fun. Enjoy it together, but it's not that important. He loved Jesus. He encouraged us in the context of a team. So Barnabas, he's the son of encouragement. So we're in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, if you have a Bible with you, if you don't, that's okay. But I'm old school. I like turning pages. So let me get there for a second. So where we are in 
Acts, you've been in, in Acts, just really quickly the story. So, right, Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, they've seen him. He said, wait for someone to come and help you, right? Holy Spirit comes in fire, which my five-year-old cannot get over. Who's the Holy Spirit, Kai? He's fire. I was like, he is fire. So that'd be fun if that happened today, right? We had some fire. But he comes in fire. All of a sudden, these people who are scared to death are just bold. And they know some things. And they are sharing some things. And they are so winsome, so fun. They are just thousands of people are starting to become followers of Jesus, right? So we're in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. So we're going to start. This is why I told the team story. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. From time to time, I always emphasize that, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need, right? Because you had to do that because they, you know, they left with the people they were with, they left their families, their lives are changing, they have no food, like how do you do this? We need to work. So people were, who would, could be generous from time to time would sell things and bring it to the church, and then they could have bread, they had tools for their jobs, like you know, it was really good, right? And so it's this big story. And what I love is that, you know, there's a reason. So following this, we meet Barnabas and we meet another person. There's Barnabas and Ananias. And what I love about, Mark, about Luke here is that he didn't have to tell this story, right? Like when it comes to Jesus, they said, Jesus said so many things. You couldn't contain it in this book. So many things. So they had to choose specific things for specific reasons, so Luke's the same with the Holy Spirit. Like, what stories do we tell, right? So here's this church who is being really generous, right? They had this mindset not of, like, I have to give away my things, but what's mine is yours. It's really unique. And then Luke says, all right, that's awesome, right? Let me give you a really specific example, and then I'm going to give you a contrast. It's one person who gets it and one person who doesn't get it. So it'll help you understand a little better. So we are in Acts now 4, 36. So we meet Barnabas and Ananias. So Joseph, that's Barnabas' real name, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. Now a man, a different guy, named Ananias, with his wife, also sold some property. I won't tell the whole story, but he withheld some things. He kept some for himself, but said that he gave everything, which sounds like me. I give some things. I feel pretty good about it, but I withhold some stuff, right? So Barnabas and Ananias are strikingly different people, right? And what's interesting to me is that Barnabas' real name is Joseph. So he gets a new name, and it's the son of encouragement. And usually in the Bible, and I can't tell this for sure, but he's the only person I can find whose new name was not like, like, a, like a prophetic future thing. Like a lot of people in the Bible get a name, it's like, you're going to become this. No, Barnabas got, Joseph got a new name because of who he already was, because he loved Jesus. And people saw that in him and said, oh man, you need a new name. You're the son of encouragement. But see, Ananias had a name too, and his name meant God is gracious. So you have a person who got a name because of who God was. You have a person who had a great name, but he missed the meaning of the name, right? So what enabled Barnabas to be so generous and so kind? Why was he the son of encouragement, and why was Ananias not? Well, 
I think it's humility. So for just a moment, before we move on to the story of Barnabas, I want to talk about humility, because I am fascinated by humility. There's a book I like to read from time to time. It's a little book, old book, um, called Humility. And uh, the person who wrote it said that he believes that the root of every good thing is humility. And the root of every bad thing is pride. So he thinks the war of the cosmos is between the humility of Jesus and those who follow him and the pride of evil and those who follow him. But see, the problem for me when it comes to humility, we're talking about Barnabas and why he was the way he was, is I have a bad idea of what humility is, right? I equate humility with like, it's like self-loathing. It's self-deprecating. I diminish who I am, right? I downplay who I am. I, I put myself down. That's not humility. That's actually more like pride. A humble person knows who they are. A humble person doesn't think about themselves. They think about someone else. They don't think less of themselves. They think more of other people. That's what a humble person is. You know, Paul, when he was talking about Jesus, so so Jesus is the example that he became nothing. He became like the things that he made to live life we could not live. He was obedient to death. He was as humble as you possibly could be. He came to serve, not be served. He gave his life as a ransom for many, right? Hmm. I can't think of where I want to go right now. I got a whole page on humility, and I'm not sure. Does anyone else wrestle with humility? What it actually means to be humble? How many of us put ourselves down when we think we're being humble? How many of us, when we get a compliment, think, oh, that wasn't me. I didn't do that, right? Am I the only person? No one's raising their hand. Everyone else is good with it. Man, I'm, you guys are better than me. I'm a proud person, apparently. So I just, I really wrestle with humility and what I think it is. You see, we live in a day and age where um, uh, we, we're always trying to find ourselves, well, I'm going to find myself. But in trying to find myself, I lose everybody else. So I can fall in and out of love. I can choose any relationships and out of relationships because it doesn't work for me. I work on myself before I work on anyone else. Right? Is that what we do? I mean, we quit marriages. We quit jobs. We move places. I, just, I can't get over the fact that we say we fall in love and then we fall out of love. I don't read that in this book. Is that what Jesus did? Did Jesus fall in love with us? No, he chose to love us. Humility says you are more important than me, and it does not diminish me at all. Because why? Because I'm a son, or you're a daughter of the Most High God, right? I know who I am. I am loved by Jesus. He has plans for me. There are plans for good. I'm living with him forever. If I think that way, I can think about you all day, and it never changes. It's not going to ruin my life at all. That's not how we think. Man, right? Come on. I think sometimes we don't want to. So here's a great example. This is for me, personal for me. So uh, people do the Enneagram. Enneagram, anybody? All the numbers and what you are, right? I'm a peacemaker. I want people to like me. And so I was at a conference where a pastor is talking about a pastor, and this was helpful for me. The pastor said when he goes up on stage, before he goes, he stands there with God and says, God, I just want them to like me. He says, but I want to like you more. I want them to know about you. So I just confess to you, this is part of my humanity. I wrestle with this, 
would you take it from me and now I'll go and try? You know, you guys just fasted recently, right? We're trying to fast at our church right now. I was talking to somebody about why they don't fast. They said, well, I don't fast because I always fast for the wrong reasons. I fast to lose weight. I said, that's fine. That's a good thing too. But you could just confess that to God. I said, God, I want to fast. I want to hunger for you, but I really wrestle with, I have my own selfish intentions. Just tell him that and then fast, right? He's okay with that. That's being humble. That's an honest assessment of yourself, right? And then we can move on with Jesus. We have to acknowledge who we are. And we acknowledge who we are, then we can think about other people. Humility. My goodness. I think what strikes me about humility is it makes us really vulnerable. If I'm going to choose to think about you over me, it makes me really vulnerable. Right? What if you let me down? What if because I, like my wife, who said, okay, like, we can do the church thing, right? My wife is from Milwaukee and Chicago, and I moved her to small towns in Iowa. She probably didn't think that was going to happen. But she was willing to because she, with the Holy Spirit, said, let's try this thing that you feel like you're called to. That is humility. That is being humble. That is to honor someone else above yourself. I just admire my wife. So when I was in college, I was really proud. Going up, you know, so I had, we had a, a nice basketball career for a while, and I was pretty proud about it. And I, my sophomore year, I had big plans for myself. My sophomore year, I banged knees with somebody, and my, knee, and my bone and my knee died. Just, just died. I don't know how it happened or why it happened. just died. My career was over. I played, my career was over. But... Over this process, think about humility, thinking about being able to celebrate other people, to choose their success over my own. My last year, my fifth year, we had this really fun season, had a really good year. I, was, I started, so five guys, four guys made all conference. I was not the one who made all conference. Four guys got lots of accolades. I was not the guy who got the accolades. And you know what? I loved it. I could celebrate, not perfectly, these teammates who had worked just as hard as me because I had been, I had learned about humility, that I could think of them over myself because I knew I was learning who I was at that time, right? So let's talk about Barnabas. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. And I think he's encourages because he's so doggone humble like Jesus. So we're going to go with Acts. We're moving to chapter 9. There's four depictions of his humility I want to walk through. I think that one will resonate with your life today. Not sure which one that's going to be. So just pay attention and see what it is. So we're in Acts chapter 9. We're going to verse 26 through 31. All right. So when he, that's Saul at the time, Saul, who used to kill these new Christians, who was a part of killing Stephen, he was this... He was terrorizing the new church when he, he had this amazing conversion, right? Not like my conversion. I didn't have, he was on a road, he meets Jesus, he becomes blind, scales fall off his eyes. Dramatic conversion, right? It's so sudden, people don't know what to do with it, okay? So he comes to Jerusalem, chapter, uh, verse 26. He tries to join the disciples, but they're all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple, but Barnabas, but Barnabas, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. He vouched for everything Saul said. 
No one believed in Saul. But somehow Barnabas did. And he put his reputation on the line for him. He stood up for him. And he put himself in danger. So he went, it says, it literally means he probably took him by the hand almost and led him to the disciples and said, he is telling the truth. I believe in this guy. And you should too. Anybody got someone in their life that they need to believe in? That just needs someone to say, I believe in you. And I'm going to bring you. I can't get over it. I don't know how he knew. I don't, I don't read that in the story. How he knew that Saul's story was real. Did he hear him preach? Did he hear him teach? I have no idea. But what does strike me is he must have done something. Taken the time to find out if it was true. Which means he had to probably go and see Saul. He probably had to sit with Saul. He probably had to hear Saul's story, not prejudge who he was, because he just killed one of his friends. Wow. Believe in somebody no one else believes in. Because you see, with the Holy Spirit, you see something in them. You see something really good, and you want to draw it out. That's the first story. Second one, Acts chapter 11, 19 to 30. Barnabas is still on his journey with Saul. Let's see... What did I say? 11, 19. Where is that? There it is. Okay. Now those who have been scattered, so there's persecution in the church. They get scattered all over the place. Um, and they uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, telling them the good news about Jesus. The Lord was with them, and a great number of people believed. So these people go to a brand new church in a brand new place with new people who don't know a lot about Jesus and are preaching. I heard a guy there they say that Antioch was kind of like a Portland, Oregon. Just the Wild West, right? Culture, hedonism, crazy things. And they are converting people with this message. It has not happened before. Who do they send to go check it out? Barnabas. He goes and sees. The Lord is doing something new. And he has the eyes to see it. So what does he do? Yes! This is fantastic. He encourages the whole church. He says, but you know what? We're missing something. We need, we need a teacher. I know just the guy. His name is Saul, and no one believes in him but me. And he goes and gets Saul, and he brings him to Antioch. And for a year, these two together are preaching and teaching and encouraging. The church is just blowing up. Barnabas loves new things. Want to know who else loves new things? I think God loves new things. Sometimes we like to do the same things because we know how to do those things. But sometimes God's like, I'm doing something different. Can you see it? Barnabas could see it. So he believes in people no one else could believe in. I think because he's humble. He sees things no one else can see because I think he's humble. Next story. Acts 13, 13. We're paging through. If you're paging. Let's see here. Uh, so right before this, I'm not going to read it. So Saul has become Paul and they meet an evil person. I don't know if she has done a story or not. And uh, Saul displays power. Right? Barnabas has believing in, in Saul and now Paul for a long time. Investing in him, investing in him, investing in him. And suddenly Saul becomes Paul and he becomes something new. He starts to reach his potential. And from that point on, when he just does this, from that point on, the whole rest of the way, it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Do you see what happened? Barnabas was a leader. He was really important. And he trained someone behind him, invested in someone behind him, and then when it was his time, he said, 
now you lead. He gave up his power. Gave up his authority. He could do that. Is that what we do in our corporate world? Our, you know, we, we keep working our way up more authority, more authority. Scale the ladder. Scale the ladder. Make, make sure everyone knows how important you are and how much they need you, right? Not Barnabas. Barnabas is developing. He's working himself out of a job. My mom says it to me all the time. Work yourself out of a job. He's like, great. He releases power. How many of us in our day and age, what would happen if you gave up some of your authority or some of your power? For somebody who has earned it, who has worked for it, what would start happening? Yeah, freedom. Come on. You should get up here and preach. I think we always think we have to, when we, if some of our, our power is taken away, we think it was stolen from us. It was taken from us. But we're still talking about this church, right? Acts 4.32, who's just giving everything because I don't really think it's mine. You can have some. Yeah. This is a story of a person who came from that church. I love Barnabas. Last one. This is the one I wrestle with and I'm trying to figure out. Acts 15, 36 to 41. So sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers on, the, on, on their journey in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise because he had deserted them and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark. Paul took someone else. Barnabas would forgive people. Barnabas believed in you. He would give you his authority, and he would forgive you when you screwed up. You know, John Mark, I'm trying, you know, you read these stories, like, if you really think about it, that is remarkable. Let's say you are going through one of the hardest things in your life, which I know there are people in this room who are going through the hardest things in life. And what if your good friend bailed? I mean, these guys are getting, they're getting beaten to death. They're stoned different places. They're being chased out of town. It's like they are, they are up against it, right? And this guy just leaves, and he bails. I can see why Paul would do that, right? I would probably do the same thing. No, he's a chicken. He bailed. He's not tough enough. He's not going to stick with us. What happens the next time when it gets hard? And Barnabas says, I don't know, but I'll forgive him. Let's give him a second chance, right? I read somebody who said, and I mean this very respectfully, don't be like Paul. Paul reconciles with John Mark way later in a prison cell. He said, don't wait to reconcile. He went on to say, what would have happened? I don't know, if Barnabas and Paul had stayed together. They're the most dynamic missionary group ever. Divided. What would have happened? He said, don't wait to forgive somebody. Forgive them today. Forgive them now. Barnabas can forgive right now. And forgiveness is so hard, isn't it? Like, can I just verbally process with you forgiveness for just a second? So Jesus says, you know, forgive. Seven times 77. Forgive and forgive and forgive. I know it's important the person wants forgiveness. I know that. But we, like, we set up lots of parameters around our forgiveness. 
Well, you know, they are, they're harmful, they're not good. I understand that. But I'm so bad at forgiveness. Actually forgiving people. Even when I forgive people, later on, if I pay attention in a conversation later about that same person, I will probably say something unkind about them. Leads me to believe I never actually forgave them. And this is like the most extreme circumstance. Worst spot in life. Hardest thing you could have ever done. Leaves. We should forgive them. Wow. Honor others above yourself. Think them better than you. Is, is John Mark better than Barnabas? I think I would think that I was better than John Mark. Right? Am I the only one? Forgive them still? Wow. Over and over and over. Barnabas is humble, and he's the son of encouragement. This guy drove a lot of things, and we just forget about him because he's not, he kind of fades out of the story. But look at the groundwork he laid with the Holy Spirit. So I was reading this book, Humility, and it's funny, I've read it a bunch. I realized just last week that I never read the last chapter. You know how that goes. And there was this quote at the end that has stuck with me. I think I, we might have it. I'm not sure. It's by F.B. Meyer. Yes. There it is. I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above another, and the taller we grow, the easier we can reach them. Now I find God's gifts are on shelves, and the lower I stoop, the more we get. Climbing, 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 or like in my house, to get to the bottom shelf, you know what I have to do? You know, I'm 37 now. It's harder to get down, to get out. But I've been thinking about Barnabas. How could he know that Saul was telling the truth? How could he know there was something good in John Mark to forgive? Like, like he saw something in these people. How did he do that? I think he sat his bottom on the ground and got to know them, which interrupts your life. This is an old lyric, a guy that I like. Uh, he always says that, what is it? It's John Lennon. Life's what happens when you're busy making plans, right? I don't know if had any plans, right? Look at that guy. He's doing crazy stuff all the time. The best things are at the bottom. Humility. Jesus. In a minute, we're going to sing a song where it says, Jesus came across the universe, right? It's this little teeny tiny place. That is humility. And that is how the kingdom grew. That is how people felt loved. They felt seen. Oh, my goodness. So I was doing some reading before this, and I learned about a lady named Agnes. And Agnes has a much more famous name now. Her name's Mother Teresa. And when she started her ministry, she had 12 people. At the time of her death, there were 4,000 sisters, 610 missions in 123 countries. Did you know that people criticized her? They criticized her. You want to know why? She wasn't efficient enough. She had bad systems. And they said, you know what? Can't the government do that work for you? They have more resources, more money, more staff. They, they can do all those things. This would be her response. God required me to do small things with great love. So while those programs exist for admirable purposes, they're good things. She said, Christian love is for one person. The bottom shelf. But you got to sit down 
Did you know that when babies were dying, they were going to die, that she and her team would sit and just hold the baby until they did? And she said, because I want to make sure everyone who lives, if I can, experiences love, even just for a moment. So they would hold these little babies, and they would talk to them, and they'd speak truth over them, and they'd love them. I can't imagine doing that over and over and over. So I'm going to do it on time. Oh, we got some time. So I want to show a clip. Has anyone ever seen The Chosen? All right. There's a clip I love. And, you know, this is, you don't find this in the Bible. I'll, I'll say that. But I think it might have happened. This is the kind of person Jesus was, and it's in line with, I think, other parts of Scripture. So it's, it's short, four minutes. Can we, can, we, can we play that clip quick? Is that possible? Does it work? I tried to walk away, but he wouldn't stop pushing me. So I pushed him so hard he fell down. And that's why you were punished. Did you expect something different? But even Torah says eye for eye. Why should I be punished too? Yes, but that is for a judge. You were hardly in a court of law. And you... All of you are to be special. You are to act differently than others. You tell us to be gentle, but Rabbi Josiah said Messiah would lead us against the Romans, that he would be a great military leader. It is important to respect your teachers and honor your parents. And Rabbi Josiah is a smart man. But many times, smart men lack wisdom. Is there anything in scripture that says Messiah will be a great military leader? There are many things about scripture that you cannot understand yet, and that is okay, that is fine. You have many years ahead of you, and God does not reveal all things at once. But children, what if many of the things that our people think about how we are to behave and how we are to treat one another are wrong? You want things to be fair. When someone wrongs you, you want to right it. And you know who else loves justice? But what does the Lord say in the law of Moses about justice and vengeance? Vengeance is mine. Yes, very good. Very good. Boys, pay attention. She doesn't even go to Torah class, huh? <laughs> the Lord loves justice. Maybe it is not ours to handle. And God says he will have compassion on his people when, what? Let's see if someone who studies this at school is learning, huh? When their strength is gone? Yes, very good. So, maybe we let God provide the justice. Hmm? Maybe we handle these things in a different way. Not trying to be the strongest all the time. Even Messiah? You will have to see. But do not expect Messiah to arrive in Jerusalem on a tall horse carrying weapons. And he will be most pleased with those of you who are the peacemakers. This is my reason for being here. I still don't understand. What is your reason for being here? I'm telling you this because even though you are children and the elders in your life have lived longer, 
Many times, adults need the faith of children. And if you hold on to this faith really tightly, someday soon, you will understand all of what I am saying to you. But you ask an important question, Abigail. What is my reason for being here? And the answer is for all of you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah. Isaiah. I have loved spending this time with you. You are all so very special. And I hope that my next students ask the same questions you do and that they listen to my answers. But I suspect they do not have the understanding you do. And I hope that when the time comes, they will tell others about me, like you have. Right? I said, I see Barnabas. He stopped. He sat. He's coming to free the world, right? He's coming to make things known, and he's got time. Sit with little children, right? As I was coming, uh, you know, I always try to decide what you should say and shouldn't say, right? I just, I got this real sense that perhaps, talk about encouragement today, that, uh, I don't know, some people came today, it was really hard to come today. And I think that the Lord just said to me, he said, yes! They came. I think he's here for you today. I think he wants to speak to you today. I think he wants you to know who you are. I think he wants to encourage you. That he is with you no matter what you brought in. I think in the next couple of moments, if you would let him, he wants to come be with you. I'm invite the band up. There's, and we're studying Mark's gospel right now. And, uh, uh, whenever Jesus is going to tell people who he is, there's always blind people seeing and people are always hearing that it didn't. It's always around when he shares who he really is and what he came to do, which was he came to bring humility to our world. But the one that strikes me is he's, there's a blind person. And I wouldn't say the word right, but he, he deeply sighs. He says this word, I think it's empathy, but the, the deep sigh, he goes, like from, the, from his bones, he says, be opened. Be opened. Hear what I'm saying to you. Hear how I feel about you. Hear what I think about you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I know life might be super hard right now. I get that this week. 
super hard. I am with you in it. And guess what? I win. So whatever you're walking through now, guess what? There is a day coming where it will no longer be. If you're losing people in your life right now who you know love Jesus, guess what? There's a day where you will be with them again. And it is going to be the best day. And eternity life starts now, according to Jesus. John 17, eternal life means when you know God, you have moved into eternal life. So you're already living in it. The kingdom, the kingdom has been coming. I was always struck by this. Jesus came, said the kingdom's coming, and then life still seems kind of hard, so we just assume the kingdom's not coming anymore. That's not true. I, I heard someone say recently, there's a, a prayer minister around the world, and he said they have people in Ukraine right now who are Christians. There's a lot of Christians in Ukraine, and they said, we can't keep enough Bibles. We cannot get enough Bibles out. People are coming to know Jesus, and I don't know what's going on. It is horrible, but there is a day coming where they will be with him forever, and they're finding that out right now. The kingdom comes regardless, and I forget that sometimes. Do you forget that sometimes? He says, be opened. I want to be with you right now. Just be opened. So we're going to sing a song. And you know, uh, we have prayer ministers, right? Let's have the prayer ministers kind of come up. If you need to be encouraged, you want to know how you get encouraged, boy, you get prayed for. You get prayed for, and then you come have some communion afterwards. You will be encouraged. Who knows, the Lord does some wild things in prayer. And then when you come and you partake of the body and the blood, you are encouraged. Something happens when you do both. So I just encourage you to do it. But just, would you be willing to be open? And then when we go, we'll bring it with us. Let's pray. So if I, we pray for an openness in the room. We pray that, uh, I ask for forgiveness. For when I don't allow you to move. When I block, because you're so patient and you're so kind. And you wait on us so much. I pray this would be a moment that you don't have to wait. Would there be, we sang it, just a spirit of surrender? Would we surrender? Whatever it is we're holding on to, whatever is hard, whatever is keeping us, whatever it is. Would you bring it to our minds right now? Whatever would keep you from being able to, to speak to us? Would you bring it to our minds? And would we just say, as a people, we are your people, and you are our God. We surrender, and we lay them at your feet. And in these moments, as we are gathered together, which is so good, would you have your way? Amen.